You're tuned to Beyond Belief on this Sunday evening. And we're joined this evening by Christine Hochter, who is the chaplain at Limerick Prison. Christine, good evening. Good evening, Stephen. Thank you for inviting me onto your show. Not at all. It's, it's a pleasure. It's the first time I've spoken to a prison chaplain. Could you just tell me a little bit about the, the prison system? I think you're an employee of the prison system. That's correct, Stephen. First of all, I'll just explain that I'm a full-time prison chaplain here in Limerick Prison, and there is a part-time chaplain here, Father Michael Kelleher, from the Redemptorist Order. So there's one and a half of us here at the moment. And I suppose just to explain that Limerick Prison is would be considered a small prison in that there's about 250 prisoners here. 230 are male to about 20 are female. So Limerick is one of about 12 prisons in the country. So we would have 10 closed prisons in Ireland. And that would be what you would consider a traditional prison system. And then we have two open prisons and they are based for people who would be very close to being released, maybe having done quite a number of years within a closed prison environment. So they need to acclimatise and get used to living back in society again. So they would need some time in an open prison, which is a little bit more relaxed. There's another prison in Portage Town itself, the Midlands. That would be one of the largest prisons in the country uh, with about 800 there. Right. So that's why Limerick is considered small with 250. Sure. sure. We yeah. will be expanding because we have ongoing work at the moment. So by this time next year, I would be having a different conversation with you by saying we could be close to maybe 350 or 400 prisoners here because we're building on a new wing, a bed for the men and a new prison for the females. Limerick Prison is naturally part of the Diocese of Limerick, but I myself am from the Diocese of Killaloo. I come from North Tipperary and as part of prison chaplaincy, because Limerick covers a lot of men and women from the Munster area and the counties of Munster, I would liaise at times, not all the time, with different dioceses across Munster, especially when it comes to things such as First Communions, Confirmations, or in the event of any funerals that are taking place, I would often be in contact with different parishes uh, across Munster. And do you know what offences the prisoners have committed when you meet them? I would have access to that information if I need to. Naturally, there would be a computer system that would contain everyone's information. Not everyone would have access to all information. And as chaplains, we would have access to quite a lot. Most times I don't look at what they're in for because I don't necessarily need to know that information. But sometimes I do need to know because if somebody has could pose to be maybe violent or a threat maybe to myself, it would be important that I would know that information Absolutely. before I meet the person. Yeah. But most people would be here for minor offences and, as I said, maybe here for a few weeks, a, month, a few months. But naturally, we would have people here for longer periods of time. When you meet the prisoners, um, that's on a one-to-one basis, is it? It depends. I suppose the, the first thing to understand the role of prison chaplaincy is that, for example, we would consider ourselves a, a presence within the prison, a Christ-like presence. So, for example, because of the structure, you would have governors who make 
important decisions. And then you would have officers who do the day-to-day um, running of the, the entire prison. And naturally, the teachers and the counsellors, they do their roles. Chaplains are, we're the neutral, we're independent, and we're the, I suppose, the a friendly face amongst all the chaos that can happen within a prison environment. And our role would be to meet people mainly on committal and are within a few days of when they first come in because for some people it is their first experience for others it could be their 20th experience to their 50th experience but either way we try to be that friendly presence to see how they are is everything okay did they get a chance to make their phone call how can we help in some way now naturally because of covid the regime has changed slightly because anyone who does come in has to spend quite a number of days within quarantine to be tested to see if they have got COVID or not when they first come in. So because of that, at the moment, with any new committal, we can only talk to them through the door until you know they've got the all clear and then we can talk to them face to face if they want to see us, of course, because in some cases they, they don't. They don't need us nor want to talk to us. But most of the time, our role is to be a presence on the wings and landings. So we would make ourselves available and walk around and just to see how people are, just to see how they are, how are things, because it's important that they gain our trust that they know that we're here for them because in most circumstances why they may not need us every single day but when there is a crisis in their own lives whether it's because they've received bad news or maybe they're worried about something themselves or they haven't heard from family um, that it's important that they we as chaplains can link in with them and because we have the right to access wings and landings that we can call to them at any time and help them in whatever way we can. Because as chaplains, we are the link between the inside to the outside world and vice versa. So for example, many families will phone in to see how their son, their brother, their daughter, sister is doing. Because you can imagine once they are committed into the prison system, it takes a few days before they are processed and are able to make that first phone call back home. And that is the reality of prison life, that you know, you come to prison as a punishment, not for punishment. Your freedoms are taken away from you. And unfortunately for families on the outside, it's, it's very, very difficult for the majority of families because they worry, as, which is completely understandable, about their son, their daughter or you know, their partner in terms of are they okay have they eaten enough are they warm enough and simple things like that do they have anything you know to even to get a few cigarettes or little things like that to get them by and it's very important that they're able to phone somebody because as you can imagine an officer is too busy and they wouldn't be able to take those calls whereas we can take those calls and we can listen to the family members because a lot of them can be very upset at times and it's very hard because some families do the sentence along with their family member because they, they are sometimes isolated themselves in the community and maybe are ashamed or maybe feel that they carry some shame that the fact that a family member is doing some time in prison and it can be very lonely for a lot of families so we're there for them as well and that's why it's very important that anyone here within the walls can trust us and gain our trust and know that we're there for them yeah are you 
you also there for the prison officers? Do you support them as well? Yes, of course. It's very important because you know the reality of prison life is that we are a community and I sometimes describe it to people like that again because Limerick is quite small that it's like a village because it's 250 here and then you'd have approximately 200 staff because you would have staff to do nights and staff to do the daytime and because of that I would see Limerick prison like a village with a roof over it and we are a community and it's important that we get on with each other and it's important that they know again that we're there for them because officers, governors, whoever they may be, again, teachers, everyone, especially for the last two years, everyone has had their own difficulties and struggles and worries about COVID and the normal things of life and juggling family life and everything like that. So it's important, again, that we link in with them and we're there if a family member is ill, we obviously would ask and inquire. And if they want, we would obviously pray for a family member and we would share with them in terms of any joys that would happen. So staff members go on maternity leave. So like everyone else, you're excited about who's the new member of the community. And um, so, yes, it's, it's very important. And we work with officers all the time and we rely on them to look out for us as well as we do our daily work. So once they know that we're responsible you know, and what we do, that we're not just wandering around the prison, that we take our own security seriously as well. And we abide by the rules. So sometimes I could ask to go over to a particular wing or landing and they might just say, look, Christine, now is not a good time. And I accept that, that there must be something going on that I don't necessarily need to know about. But I respect the fact that now is not a good time to go over to that particular wing or landing. And I would respect that. I would consider myself a chaplain for Limerick Prison, not a chaplain for prisoners solely. We were all in this together. Sure. And it's obviously a calling, uh, you know, it's a vocation for you. How, how did you decide? How, what's your journey? How did you become a prison chaplain? Well, it's quite interesting, really. I sometimes laugh about it myself. I sometimes think that if I had gone to a psychic reader a few years ago and looked into a crystal ball and they told me I was going to be a prison chaplain, I would have looked for a refund and asked for money back because I would have said that was never going to happen. It happened really by accident in some ways. But yet, I, when I look back in my life, I can see that there was obviously a pattern of different types of work I had been doing. My background would not necessarily traditionally be a theological background. Some of the other prison chaplains, there's about 22 of us all together. A lot would have a theological background. I would come from a sociological, criminological background, but I would have studied pastoral studies in Maynooth. And part of my placement, I requested to be in a prison. And this is, we're going back many years ago when this happened. And it was very, it took a lot of effort to get into Peatfield Prison because it was not seen that a lay female would have access to a prison. So it took a lot of work. And there was myself and about two others, women as well, that we, we finally got our placements and we were delighted. So it gave a very good um, insight in terms of just understanding life for a prisoner. The, we 
used to visit the same prisoner every week for about six months and he never had any visits at all from any family member so he was completely on his own doing his sentence so he really welcomed the fact of being able to just talk to somebody and it just gave me an insight and I, I later went on to do other studies in the UK and I spent 13 years in the UK and part of my work there between teaching and researching, I would have spent a lot of time in different prisons, ironically, in sex offender prisons within ordinary prisons across the UK as part of research. So I, it gave me an insight into that world and I was always interested in the concept of justice and the concept of why do we punish, how do we punish and what is the benefit of the way we punish at the moment in our current system and who benefits from it and I would have also looked at the side of it of, from a victim's point of view as well. So ironically when I came back then to Ireland I worked in Limerick in general for a few months and the position came up they were looking for somebody as a locum for a few months and I applied and I said well I don't tick all the boxes but I take enough and I said, well, it's worthy of an interview. And I went for the interview, not thinking I would get it. And they said, oh, we will take you. And um, so I thought I was only going to be here for 12 weeks. And I'm here now almost five years. And in that process, I was here for a year and a half on my own as a locum. And then the post was advertised then, um, as it was for all chaplains across the country. And I applied and I was very lucky to be accepted for the role and as was Father Michael for the part-time role. So it's lovely to have a chaplaincy team now because for a year and a half I was on my own, which, you know, is naturally very difficult when, especially being the first female lay chaplain in a predominantly male environment, it can be difficult at times, as mm. you can imagine. Well, thank you, Christine. We'll just pause there. Uh, earlier, I asked you to pick a piece of music, and uh, so we'll just hear that now. It's Eva Cassidy, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And we'll be back to hear more about the work of prison chaplains after this. was Eva Cassidy, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, and that was the choice of our special guest this evening, the chaplain at Limerick Prison, Christine Hochter. Christine, I wonder, could you describe to us a, a typical day for you in the prison? A typical day would be that my intention would be to try and visit a couple of wings. Now, when I say wings, you know, a, a wing can have about 150 prisoners in a wing. And, you know, again, just to be the presence, just to kind of shout out to a couple of lads or how are you doing or how are things, uh, just to engage with a, a, a few wings. I'm most conscious that, you know, there are 220 men here, but there are about 25 women. And, I, you know, obviously the women are very, very important and the needs of the men are completely different to the needs of the women. And I would be very conscious that the women would need quite a lot of time. 
And especially being a female myself, I can relate to maybe some things that would be going on in their lives um, as well. So my typical idea would be to cover a couple of wings or landings. But when I do come in, there's normally up to an average, there can be anything up to about 10 or 15 messages on the phone. So normally you have to look at those messages and see what is prioritized. Um, Sometimes the, the calls would be over small things, maybe tell Johnny or Mary that I have a new mobile number and give them their, a, um, a certain mobile number. And then the other messages can be very serious and obviously they take priority. Um, so that would be the usual intention of every day. Naturally, then there are meetings that chaplains have to attend because part of our role is not just being a Christ-like presence around wings or landings, but there is the prison paperwork side of things that must be done as well. And it's very important that we attend different meetings and have our voice heard because we are the voice sometimes of prisoners, especially if they're looking for something and they feel that we can help. Or especially if a family member wants to have access to something, maybe if somebody's getting a confirmation or a communion, you know, that they may want to see if it's possible to buy something to be able to post that out to a family member. And things like that can be raised at meetings as well as concerns that we may have about certain things. So, yeah, so it's a very, very busy office. Yeah, and sometimes the best of intentions. My plan for today might go pear shaped, and I have to accept that and just pick it up then the next day. Sure, and and also I assume that um, many of your prisoners will be of other faiths. How do you deal with them as well? Exactly, our whole idea of chaplaincy is that we're a presence to people of all faiths and none. The majority of people here are Catholic. Occasionally, we would have a number of those of Muslim faith and of Jewish faith. So we would link in with them as soon as possible to let them know that we are here for them and how we can help them. Uh, I would be very conscious for those of Muslim faith that they would need things like a prayer mat. They would need times of prayer. Um, They would need to know where Mecca is for their times of prayer and also to make sure that their food is halal. And, you know, that would that would be um, would be sorted out anyway when they would first come in. Once the prisoner are aware of people's religion, straight away, any dietary requirements are seen to immediately. So we would link in with them. And do you hold services in the prison? We do in terms of because the majority of, as I said, of people here are Catholic. We have mass on a Sunday. We have two masses, one for the men, one for the women. As you can understand, for uh, operational reasons, we can't, prisoners can't mix. And our chapel is part of the traditional, the old Limerick prison. So the chapel is 200 years old and it's a very special place. And we try and open it up as much as possible. Unfortunately, we can't open it like a traditional church that the door is wide open and anybody can walk in. Uh, It has to be locked at all times because of its location. But we would have those services on Sunday. Um, I know in June we facilitate the Limerick Redemptress Novena over the nine days for those that would be preaching there would come in and do some sessions in the chapel as well. 
we're very lucky that we have a television, a chapel TV, as we call it, a media system in the chapel. Because again, if you remember during COVID, very every, you know, it was very similar to what was happening on the outside where churches were closed and no one could attend mass at the beginning. It was the very same here that no one could attend. So we're very lucky that the prison system put in a, a camera that allowed mass to go around to all the prison cells for those who wanted to tune in and watch. So by making it personal like that, it allowed people's intentions be heard. You know, it's very important, especially if there's family members have died. Prisoners like to have their family members' names called out and to be remembered at mass. And we would facilitate that as much as possible. Again, COVID has restricted a lot of things we would try and do in the chapel. Normally, pre-COVID, we would have had meditation one evening, a couple of evenings in the week for a handful of prisoners. And especially when somebody's had a loss, we try and bring them to the chapel, you know, to allow them to light a candle because there's something very powerful in lighting a candle. And we're very lucky that we can provide that and allow that to happen. So they are the normal services that takes place, really. Again, because because everything is, is, is very much a regime here, there's only so much you can do within the allocated time. Sure. But it's important that Sunday is, is very important for people to attend and also for staff to attend. Yeah, yeah it's clear that pressures are, would be enormous, as you mentioned, COVID particularly has been a problem. And how do you find things like Christmas? We're in Advent now, Christmas is coming up. Does that put additional pressures on prisoners that they're thinking of, of their home environment and, and what they're missing? Is, is that an additional pressure that you find? Of course it is. I mean, Christmas brings so much emotional memories to everyone. All of us have a sentimental feeling towards Christmas and everybody wants to be home for Christmas. And again, for anyone who is here, and that's why it can be very, very difficult because no matter what anyone has done here, whatever crime they have committed, everyone is a human being and they have family outside and again to remember that there are families outside that are going to be missing somebody at their own christmas dinner table this year so yes of course the build up to christmas is very tough on a lot of people a lot of the adverts on television doesn't help either because television portrays that everyone's christmas is going to be amazing and fabulous and sparkling and is going to be the best christmas ever but we know the reality of a lot of christmas for a lot of people is that it's tough and there's a lot of pressure on people to provide gifts and food on the table and that reality is not how the TV adverts portray it and there are a lot of families that will struggle and especially this year between the cost of living um, has gone up and you know different things that are happening in society at the moment that are just putting pressures on people. So it's the exact same for people here. Very difficult. My heart goes out to the women doing sentences here because a lot of them would have children and as do the men. But I think there's the the heartstrings are pulled a little bit more sometimes for the women because somebody else is minding their children this Christmas. And that's why it can be very difficult. And this must put pressure on you, on the chaplaincy staff as well. Do you you find that uh, pressure, do you have to get away from it somehow? How do you relax when you get away from the prison? Like everything, you know, it's important that we would have things like proper supervision in place. And thankfully, we have supervisors that we can talk to just to obviously talk about things that may have happened 
relaxing, I suppose, like everything else, it's about self-care and, you know, it's important that we take time out for ourselves just to recharge the batteries. And it's important that we don't take things home with us, which can be, that can happen very easily, especially when you turn on the news and they talk a lot about maybe issues in relation to, to crime or maybe people going through the court system. So it's very hard to switch off completely at times. But personally, I would try and relax. I, I enjoy music. I enjoy getting outdoors. And, you know, it's very important. But the lead up to Christmas here within the prison, yes, it can be stressful, but it can also be lovely as well because we try and make it special. We always have a large crib outside. That's very important for staff. It's important for visitors coming in to visit loved ones here that they that they are welcomed. They can see the, the crib within the immediate grounds. And also in the chapel, we would have our crib as well. And, you know, every week during Advent, we would gradually put pieces, we would start bringing, introducing the pieces into the crib, such as the donkey and the hay and the, the sheep. So it's lovely and we would get the prisoners involved in that and put up a Christmas tree and things. So we try and, and make it a, a nice time as well. I suppose it's a time that you're very conscious that is difficult for a lot of people here. Well, Christine, thank you so much for giving up your time this evening to talk to us. You've given us a real insight into life behind the walls of Limerick Prison and prisons throughout the country, I'm sure. So um, just uh, a thought, a piece of music to end with. What would you like? Well, I think the, the most appropriate one would be Amazing Grace. The reason being is because I know it can be sung here a number of times in the prison chapel by the men or by the women. And I suppose to hear them singing it is, is it's a very moving um, experience and it's lovely. Like there's something and the fact that the chapel is 200 years old, like because you, you would have heard prisoners in there during the famine times, those that probably had to face execution, they probably spent time in there. And like you just think, oh, my God, all those people like mm. over 200 years that have been in there. So, yeah, so that's why it's kind of appropriate in the fact that this is from the 1700s. I feel like when it's being sung in the chapel, I feel that there's 200 souls in there from the famine right yeah. through to the night before being executed. You know, that kind of feeling, you kind of feel that you're singing it for them as well. You kind of think, oh, the memories. And I also think it's appropriate because of the origins of the hymn or mm -hmm. the song that it was, it came from the 1700s by a man called John Newton. And he was involved in the slave trade and he was involved in bringing slaves over on ships and he was involved in a shipping accident that the, the ship during a storm capsized. Uh, he almost drowned and he had, I suppose, a, a near death experience and looked to God for forgiveness. And he repented and sought redemption. And he saw a new way of looking at his life and he became a pastor in London and he got involved in actually abolishing the slave trade. So it was a full circle moment for him and I think it's just a very appropriate hymn and it would be lovely I think for your listeners to hear it. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Christine, and thank you for the insight you've given. It's obviously a calling and a vocation for you, and I do thank you for the work that you're doing on behalf of uh, of society, really. It's a societal thing, isn't it? And uh, we do thank you, and here is Amazing Grace. <laughs> 